0: received Wednesday, April thirteenth, at three twenty two AM
1: Hello, my fellow suffering beings.
0: Hi there, Steve. Um it's from a wee while ago, I think it is probably four years now. Um Yeah, I hope it's okay to leave a message on your voicemail at this hour, and I hope I haven't woken you up. (laughs) Um, I'm not sleeping terribly much myself, um, so it's possibly making me a bit insensitive to others' needs around sleep. Um, Yeah, I don't know if you could tolerate speaking to me. Um, feel as though we've got quite a lot to discuss um you're welcome to ring me back on this number anytime um or equally i'll ring you again tomorrow i hope that's okay um yeah it'd be really nice to talk um i feel like there's a lot of stuff which is there um maybe you disagree um but yeah anyway i shall start waffling in the middle of the night i'm sorry for leaving you one of the more surreal voice messages you've probably had for a while anyway um you're in my mind quite strongly at the moment anyway um yeah i hope you're okay all right take care bye to return the call at your normal call rate press hash to listen to the message again press one to save the message, press two. To delete the message,
2: press three. The one thing I'd love to know about you. Dot dot dot. This is a hinge prompt, which is usually completed by some kind of inane dichotomy. The one thing I'd love to know about you is whether you put milk in your tea before or after. The one thing I'd love to know about you is if you're a gentleman who will hold the door open for me but also give me a slap on the bottom when I walk through. The one thing I'd love to know about you is if you prefer dogs or cats. Do you wake up each day with a smile in your dial and a spring in your step? Do you prefer beaches or mountains? Pineapple on pizza. Wrong or delicious? I wish I was making those up, but those were all copied verbatim. Often, it's just a single word completion of the sentence stem. Perhaps this is a sign of a bot at work, or maybe just an extreme form of lassitude on the part of the profile setter. There's a lot of that around, too. The one thing I'd like to know about you is Sandwich. The one thing I'd like to know about you is... Champagne. The one thing I'd like to know about you is... Walk in the park, question mark. You get the idea. But here's the one thing I'd really like to know about you, dear listener. When you open your eyes to the now, which we call the beginning, although it has only really begun for us at that moment, Do you see the day ahead as something that needs to be constructed, set up, sort of put together like an IKEA flat pack? Or does the day drop into your lap like a ripe apple detaching itself from the stem, warm from the sun and denotive of something delicious ahead, an ambrosial crunch, a sweet consummation? Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Tarot Cure in which a card from a tarot pack knocks on this being human door this being human is a guesthouse roomy, etc and invites itself in what to do, how to respond to this invited or uninvited guest maybe it doesn't really matter whether the guest came by our bidding or not to
0: everything turn turn turn
3: there is a season turn, turn
1: how does one cultivate goodwill towards oneself
3: you start off feeling connected to the ground and to the space around you because we live in such a dislocated condition we don't feel we're connected to anything naturally you know you're connected to your job as long as they don't sack you You're connected to your partner unless she leaves you. You're connected to something else because you're good enough. You're not naturally connected. You're not innately connected. You have to work to get connected. You have to be good to get connected. You have to be nice to get connected. Then you get the connections because of your efforts. What's necessary is to realize the connection. You don't have. That's a given. It's given. You do breathe. You you do sit. You can sit on the ground, and you can just getting that. And to feel you don't have to do anything apart from acknowledge and feel the sense of connection in your body. So you've got to get to your body.
2: Hannah and I met about five years ago in Guardian Soulmates. I think my first message to her probably led on the palindromic nature of her name, which delightfully declares itself to be the same thing, whether read forwards or back. She was, and still is, as far as I know, a clinical social worker who seemed somewhat surprised at how poor the mental health status often was of the highly functioning academics in the university town where she lives, who she also would see as clients. I invited her to check out with me the American-Iranian poet Kaveh Akbar, who was reading at the time with Rachel Long and Holly Singlehurst at the Poetry Café near Covent Garden. Kaveh is a real old-school poet, impassioned, chanting and swaying like an imam at his lectern, a truly electrifying performance and experience, more like going to a gig or stand-up comedy than the usual poetry folder roll, which can often be... Quite dull. Poets reading their own work, sometimes a bit of a mixed bag. I remember very distinctly a poem called Vines, which was going to be in his forthcoming, which is now out, collection called Pilgrim Bell. The poem begins
4: They're fat, wet. Vines creeping into my house, through the pipes and through the walls. Gentle as blue flames, they curl into my living. I am present and useless, like a nose torn from a face and set in a bowl. When I saw God, I used the wrong pronouns. God bricked up my mouth hole. His fists were white as gold. There were roaches in my beard. Now I live like a widow. Every day a heave of knitting patterns and sex toys.
2: And ends with these words.
4: I am lovely too. My body is hard and choked with juice like a plastic throat stuffed with real grapes. My turn-ons include Ovid and fake leather. My turn-offs have all been ushered into the basement. I'll drink to them and to any victory. The vines are all growing toward the foot of my bed. I am waiting for them to come under the covers. I am the only person still in this house. There is no one here to look away. That
2: night, after the reading, Hannah revealed to me that we had already met before. Could I not recall? At some sort of conference a few years previously. I did not recall this meeting. And Hannah is quite distinctive looking. I'm sure I would not have forgotten her if we had met previously. I also hadn't been to any conferences or anything of that description for over a decade, so I suspected it might be a case of mistaken identity. But she was insistent. This other me, my doppelganger, and her had interacted in a way that had, that, that had upset her, maybe even enraged her. And she was surprised that I couldn't remember being myself, as surprised perhaps as I was. We saw each other a few times more after this, and apart from the doppelganger thing, I really liked her. And we had a lot in common, lots of shared values. But she wouldn't ever park or put to rest her illusion, or you might say, delusion, for want of a better word. So... Things couldn't really take root for us at a relational level. But every few years, Hannah gets in touch, perhaps when she's struggling in some way or maybe has broken up with someone and is now once more seeking some kind of connection or kindness, which supposedly I can deliver on. (laughs) And we usually end up talking on the phone and having a bit of a catch-up, and then I remind her in a sort of nostalgic way, tee-hee, ha-ha, wasn't that peculiar, etc., of this mistaken identity question, expecting her each time to acknowledge with me the absurdity of it all. But this lady, to use that famous Margaret Thatcher line, is not for turning. However that belief about me arrived in her consciousness, she clings on to it, and remains attached to the concept, like a sort of tenacious limpet on an otherwise insouciant rock. For Hannah continues to believe that I am fundamentally duplicitous. And what could be more fundamental than someone pretending to be a person they're not? The word itself, duplicitous, comes from duplex, duo, as in two, and plec, meaning to plate. So, literally, a sort of twofold nature. And what could be more fundamental than our twofold natures? Perhaps it's something we all have in common. Hannah is also twofold. She, I'm beginning to see, is my archetypal romantic type, in the way that she is often starkly twofold the one fold revealing a self who is open, receptive, relational, caring, engaging, mentally flexible, and the second fold which comes about which any when any grit gets into those relational gears and we are trying to talk about the grit this this fold response let's call it the stress response fold involves a kind of shutting down or running away. Whereas my stress response provokes the opposite, a greater opening, perhaps a little bit too much openness as you are discovering here with me.
1: She's nice. (laughs) She's sweet. The worst of her is cold like really really cold i mean she's a nice lady but like there's a part of her that's like really she can shut people out she can ignore she can block and like go inside
0: but you gave yourself so many years why don't you give her that time why don't you give her some time
1: i'd love to give her all the time in the world you know i I don't know how much time uh it would take i also just don't know if that's when people change like
0: they do. They,
1: do, they do. There's a part of my mom that's very, very cold. I know it because I have it. I, I can be that, you know. <laughs> that's probably my 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 last real secret is that I'm. <laughs> people think I'm nice. <laughs> Nah, I'm like, my mom, fuck everybody. <laughs> very selfish. Very, 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 very selfish. I smile. Very polite about it. I lie to everybody's face. It's like, no, no, we should get dinner.
0: <laughs>
1: it's like my mom is that performance of, like, who you're supposed to be. Like, I'm afraid of not smiling. I smile a lot.
2: I don't hold her profound ambivalence against me, against her, if you see what I mean. I mean, I can only be the person she perceives me to be, and if I am always in that very stark, maybe even shocking way for her, both an interesting and attractive Dr. Jekyll, as well as what I can only tell is a sort of monstrous um, Mr. Hyde, well, surely there can be no way to square this in her mind. For that is the space this sort of immaterial consciousness, that is the space in which this would need to, be, I guess, be squared for us to um, continue relating to each other.
3: Basically, you know, most of your mental stuff is very programmed, psychological programmed into performance and into trying to be somebody who's good enough. But your body isn't. So if you get into the feeling of your body, just sitting with nothing to do apart from just sit and feel the ground beneath you and recognize, hey, this is a gift. I don't have to do anything to be here. And then around me, space. I don't have to put on a costume. I don't have to put on a face. I don't have to shield myself against other people's intrusion, views, opinions, looks. I can just let it be. And those two are given. You don't have to do anything. In fact, if you do something, you block it. Just open up to that sense of the given.
2: And what better way to open up to the sense of the given than through some free association? Here's Sophie doing that with the Eight of Wands.
5: And it has eight staffs flying through the air. And I imagine them very much like I remember once seeing... A very early 1930s or 20s or 30s animation, um, which was abstract to classical music uh, or jazz, and it was painted on glass. And these shapes, these triangles, these lines, um, moved about on the glass. They were they were um, animated by washing them out and repainting them. They were they were early and, and scratchy and beautiful. And there seemed something joyful about these eight staffs flying through the air as though they were winging their way and swooping in the way that (coughs) birds swoop, flocks of birds. You know, they flock, starlings flock. So I can imagine them doing that. uh, These trees or these staffs floating and flocking through the air um unbeknownst to those in the house or the castle many miles away on top of the hill in the distance
2: so every few years we have these phone calls and i ask hannah if she still believes me to be the person she thinks i am the person she met before me which she does and then as gently as possible I remind us that we can't really establish a friendship or any other kind of relationship on that basis because I would probably struggle to engage with the duplicity of her perceptions towards me, of being experienced for her as either a devil or a saint. When she calls, usually, I'm back to saint mode, but it becomes pretty clear that she's expecting a devil to burst out at any moment. But I am neither devil nor saint. And I think it's this somewhat muddled neitherness that isn't really clear-cut enough for Hannah. And so she continues to suffer the very thought of me, even whilst feeling drawn to some transpersonal connection or understanding that lies between us. And also resonates, I feel it too, in a way suggestive of something that might really mm, link, yoke, attach one person to another so that they might decide to care for each other in an ongoing way at some point. I guess this caring for each other in an ongoing way is what we proverbially call a relationship. (laughs) The Eight of Wands is a doing card, a card about throwing ourselves into something or someone that brings us flow with all the gusto and single focus dynamism we feel in these moments. It is the perfect image for spring with its implications of new growth but also new orientations, new bearings, new trajectories. We follow the line of these eight regenerated limbs of being back to the same old trunk But that's okay, because the only thing that really matters for now, or any time perhaps, is the new growth. In the last few days, I've affixed four large black magnetic panels to the wall above my bed so that I can hold, in one space, all 78 cards of this tarot cure, this tarot journey, with the ones already played or revealed to me showing their pictorial ident or icons, whilst all of those other cards that I've yet to sort of play in this infinite game showing their backs to me, turned away from me, if you like. I think I'm doing this also to help me to make sure that I complete the project, And in order to do this, I find it helps to have something visual, almost like a huge advent calendar, each day hopefully waking up to something genuinely new and interesting to engage with and even fall a little bit in love with, perhaps, in some non-romantic way. this point, however, in the journey, I really do feel the need to erase or withdraw the last dozen or so episodes where, I've al- where I have clearly allowed myself to be so vulnerable and raw in your ears, dear listener. I actually feel quite ashamed about that middle-aged fool who clearly hasn't cracked the code of Eros, the code or the puzzle, and maybe never will and also (laughs) who has this fool who has spent the last three months griping about his inability to crack the code, as well as blaming everyone else, including himself, for this deficiency. Maybe the Eight of Wands is also a card about drawing a line. Maybe even a whole bunch of lines under a self or a question that is just going in circles, so that we might start going somewhere else. What are days for? the poet Philip Larkin once asked, giving himself and us an equally unadorned, straightforward answer. Days are where we live. They come, they wake us, time and time over. They are to be happy in. Where can we live but days? The question might equally be phrased as, what is life for? a life being in essence a collection of days filled in various ways. If days are envisaged almost as containers, like bottles holding wine or vinegar or websites containing articles or stomachs or intestines holding respectively food and waste matter, then our lives are, in some sense, an agglomeration or repository of these contained experiences. The wine store, the URL, the digestive system with all its quirks and peculiarities. Another way to phrase the question is what are the interactions that fill our days for? Are they for anything? We often distinguish between these interactions as we do for everything as either good, bad, indifferent. And I think we often believe that we can sort of planogram our way through life, only having good and fulfilling interactions if possible and and as long as we do the planning, right, right, sort of avoid all the other ones. And I guess, at some level, we can do this. Maybe that's what days are also for. To ensure that the shelves are well stocked and everything is placed where it should be, the label giving the price for the 250-gram pack of Maltesers is not appearing below the 500-gram pack of Maltesers, that sort of thing. I mean, we don't really ever want to be giving the customer a wrong impression, even though we also know that they're liable to walk away with whatever impression they want to have, need to have, Uh, whatever impression is really going to help them to make sense of their lives.
5: The second one, I believe, must be the six of cups. What I notice is these cups are abundant. They are abundant with foliage and with the kind of flowers that I see everywhere bursting forth in the hedgerows at this time of year in Cornwall. Um, Little star-shaped flowers in white and in purple signalling the plentiful nature of spring, the fecund nature of the sap rising and um, the speed with which everything takes shape and, and fills up the hedgerows with their verdant plenty. And so these cups are filled with plenty, a plenty born of nature, born of the cycles of nature and the irrepressible, unstoppable renewal of nature. And one of these cups is being given being gifted by the hooded, red hooded man, I believe in the in the image, to the slightly smaller woman. And there seems something, um, she has her arms open, something very unguarded and open about this exchange of plenty, this gift of plenty. As though by giving, you are not, um, you're giving, you're, you're not uh, selling, you're, you're not doing without whatever you give gets refilled organically by the abundance that is around you and flowing through you. So a real flow through of um, gifts, the giving of which gives energy to the giver because the energy flows through you and it's being received with open arms. So my reading of this image is one of flow, one of bounty, one of one of replenishment, one of um, a lack of anxiety or fear about running out.
2: Sitting on a hill overlooking Chorley Wood enjoying a polyphonic spree of spring birds in the trees and meditating on this card the six of cups which is a card of abundance a card of abundant giving a card of relationality even if at times that vector might be skewered to one side or another apart from the figure retreating on the left it looks like it's somebody dressed up to go to play spear carrier number three in William Shakespeare's King Henry the Fourth Part Two. Apart from that bloke, this really could be a little cottage somewhere out here in Chorley Wood, where I often go walking, so I could I could have passed a scene like this right out here. In the wild, these archetypes are still alive. This card makes me think of a client of mine who is my oldest client in two ways. Oldest in that they are, even though they genuinely don't look it, they are 72 and this client has been speaking to me since they were 62. I suppose one factor that has been a prickly thing to work with in our connection is their worry that I may not love them. Not love them as in love them, love them. But love them, as you love something that is precious and dear and, in your eyes at least, one of a kind. That kind of love. A kind of valuing love. And I do love this person in this way. And I also have other complicated emotions that have wound their way through our sessions over the years. But have always enriched me. And this card came up in a session we did recently. And it seems to speak to that question we all ask. In your eyes, in the eyes in the eyes where I want to matter, do I matter? Because, of course, we don't really care about <laughs> mattering in the eyes of anyone or even everyone, although some people do really care about mattering in the eyes of everyone. I think we, we want to matter in the eyes of the person we want to matter to. And there is something of the child to the parent there, right, because ultimately the child wants to, but also needs to, has to, matter in the eyes of that parent in all sorts of ways, maybe ways that maybe even exceed what a maternal animal really can give to its offspring, because whatever it is, it's sort of ultimately a gift. And then thinking also about the Six of Cups and how it might be aligned in another way, I guess... I maybe saw this card as a way to suffuse some of the warmth, some of the, you know, red, bloody, beating heart warmth. The two figures almost make kind of a heart if you slightly squint and um, join the red parts. Might the card suggest a way of solving something which might seem like a like a koan, a real paradox, a real head scratching. Not who done it, but a sort of why done it. And that is, how is it possible that something that could be so rich and full and abundant could also be not enough or also the very opposite of that? And maybe when we look at the card, we see that the abundance on the card is floral. The flowers that I planted seeds for at the beginning of March are now little seedlings. And in a few months' time, they will be a blossoming And if I'm very lucky some of those blooms may last me into the end of summer but wow to think that there could be a flower that could take you from spring all the way through to the middle of winter and then at that point wither and die that's quite a special flower and of course when that flower has died what is left in those cups other than some soil into which something else can be planted, and so the infinite game continues. I'm not sure I fully buy into that reading, but I do like the parity of thinking about how it might, in fact, maybe it is this way for a lot of people, to have a relationship where what is really good is incredibly abundant and nurturing. And what is not so good is hard and pointy, like the edges of those metallic cups and sometimes you plant a seed thinking you're going to get a perennial or at the very least a biennial and you find out (laughs) in the process that in fact it was really just a wonderful a beautiful annual flower like your begonias and silosias and chrysanthemums and, and and your cosmos and dahlias and geraniums and larkspur and marigold and pansies and petunias and those wonderfully sort of frilly ranunculuses and the snapdragons and the sunflowers and zinnias and impatience and sweet potato vine
3: And then it's amazing that pretty soon some quality of innate benevolence arises. Because why shouldn't you? You know, the heart feels good when it's benevolent. If it can return to a natural state, the heart's nature is benevolent. It's getting to return to the natural state is a significant thing. So the heart's state is naturally benevolent and empathic sympathetic oh how does it feel to be here it's okay ah enjoy enjoy and then you can start can you remember when somebody was good to you oh yeah how did that feel oh yeah do you remember when she gave you that oh yeah that was really sweet that was very nice you know do you remember when they didn't do that they forgave you for that how was that oh that was wonderful you remember when you really lost it, you blew it all together and somebody said, never mind, no problem, how did that feel? So you start catalyzing certain perceptions or bring up the sense of being loved, not harmed, forgiven, accepted, and you start to linger in those. And so when you start to get the channels open and enjoy it, then it begins to open up because it's natural. If this process was not natural, there would be no real awakening. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to reap. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to
5: weep.
3: Do everything
5: turn, turn, turn. I tell you what, I was going to add to the last two tarot cards. I realized I didn't say very much about the Eight of Staffs. And I was thinking about, you know, the association I'd given you of starlings flocking. And. What I kind of think about starlings flocking is it looks so creative and it looks as though um, it must feel great to be one of those starlings making those shapes in the sky Um, and there's a sort of play and exuberance and energy about it which yeah I don't know what the purpose of flocking is really other than because they can and because it feels good and because maybe that's the bit of energy they have left over before they go and roost for the evening so yeah I thought I'd offer you that as an association to my association that's what threw me because
2: I thought that was your hand I just couldn't, I knew it wasn't Natalia's Jeez, I imagine hers is long and thin and it sort of felt like it was a today picture you sitting in Maxie resting You're nuts I mean, yeah, you know wear a bracelet, wear something but that is nuts It's it a bit nice, a brass one or a, I don't know, black or something <laughs> On the other hand, what's wrong with pig blue or lemon, of course <laughs> You're nuts
5: I don't know that you could have looked in my jewelry box I've had so many
2: probably got some store you can look at if you like them <laughs>
3: funny